0: Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime.
1: People may not always see eye to eye with him, but they will always listen to his opinion. This is The Roy Green
2: Show.
0: There's a lot been said, a lot been written about uh, the federal NDP leader, Jagmeet Singh, and particularly in the last week or so, as uh, it's been reported that Mr. Singh attended uh, gatherings where Sikh independence in India was uh, discussed, where violence was also part of the conversation. And and he said, uh, if you go to globalnews.ca... The story yesterday that Mr. Singh said he believes Canada, the federal government of Canada, should declare violence against Sikhs in India in the 1980s as genocide. A lot of questions about uh, what Mr. Singh really uh, has to say. And I was reading a a, uh, column by Margaret Wendy in the Globe and Mail she writes, in part, all of this should be deeply troubling and, and really... Well, let me go back a little bit. What Mr. Singh didn't say when he talked to the Globe and Mail about terrible persecution of the Sikhs and how that inspired him to stand up for human rights, what he didn't say is that the violence cuts both ways. Also in the 1980s, violent Sikh fundamentalists in Punjab sought to form an independent theocratic state called Khalistan. As Canadian writer Gaurav Singhmar wrote, or notes... That fundamentalist movement, quote, was largely an export from radical Sikh populations in the U.K. and Canada. It was Sikh militants who blew up the Air India Flight 182, killing 329 people, a fact that Mr. Singh has been extremely reluctant to acknowledge until his Globe opinion piece. All of this should be deeply troubling, writes Margaret Whitey, not just to the party Mr. Singh now leads, but also to the rest of us. A man who wants to be prime minister is up to his neck in ethno-nationalist politics of another country and another time and place. He's deeply sympathetic to the more militant wing of his own ethnic community. He's heavily indebted, some say overly indebted, to the Sikh ethnic vote for his job. One reason he won the leadership was that he managed to sign up more than 10,000 B.C. Sikhs as new party members. So yesterday, when uh, Andrea Horvath, who's a guest on this program, the Ontario leader of the New Democratic Party, the provincial wing, of the NDP, I asked her about Mr. Singh and uh, whether she was aware of his uh, attendance in 2015 when he was the deputy leader of the NDP, that was 2015 to 2017, whether she was aware of his activities. And here's what she said.
2: Uh, Well, in fact, Jagmeet has been uh, speaking to crowds on issues of, uh, of genocide and of human rights violations and uh, all kinds of those kinds of topics for many many years I mean it's one of his passions and not just uh, when it comes to the Sikh community I mean he's spoken out on the Tamil community for example he's spoken out on uh, you know on all kinds of other uh, human rights issues worldwide and so I wasn't unaware uh, that that was one of his passions i wasn't unaware that he had been invited by many many different uh, organizations and you know plenaries and conferences uh, a- around the world here across canada and around the world and so i mean the specifics of of his remarks and all of that stuff that was kind of not part of his work as an mpp it was more his work as a a social uh, activist and as a, a human rights activist on the international stage
0: it's Andrea Horvath from yesterday on this program. Joining me is Tom Quiggin, and uh, Tom is a court-certified Canadian expert on terrorism. He's done intelligence work for the RCMP, the Canadian Armed Forces, the United Nations for the War Crimes Tribunals. He's a, he's a very, very extensive CV. And uh, we've talked to Tom about his most recent book, Submission, The Danger of Political Islam to Canada— and it's the Quiggin, at Quiggin Report, right, on uh, on, on Twitter, Tom?
1: Uh, yes, it is. We'll be launching the uh, at Quiggin Report as a podcast. It'll be hosted by Patreon. And we're hoping to have it out on the 27th of March, right?
0: All right. So we're going to talk about an interesting—I uh, guess we call it sidebar—but it's more than a sidebar. But we'll, we'll just, for convenience' sake, name it that about what happened to the Quicken report in one of the major social media organizations. In a little bit, what did you make of uh, of Andrea Horwath's description of Jagmeet Singh when he was the deputy leader of the Ontario NDP, and what do you make of the news that's been really percolating across this country? about Mr. Singh and what he's had to say, and particularly when he was talking to Global News that uh, the federal government should declare what happened to six in India in the 1980s as genocide.
1: Well, it's a bit startling, uh, to say the least, uh, Roy. First off, let me just say, as you mentioned earlier, I worked for the International War Crimes Tribunal, uh, where we dealt with war crimes, crimes against humanity, and genocide cases, I worked for citizenship and immigration for a number of years where I dealt with nothing but war crimes cases, which, again, involved genocide. And I served on the ground in Bosnia where, like, real genocides were actually occurring. And my opinion would be that his call to recognize the 1984 riots, the attacks, and the killing as genocide is legal, legally unsustainable. It's morally questionable, and it's politically, I think, it's uh, it's unsupportable to the point of being dangerous, for both him and the NDP party. The only way you could justify a call for that is if you're a pro-violence, pro-separatist uh, Khalistani or somebody who supports them. Um, yeah, it's really bad. Now, it's worth noting for your viewers as well, uh, and you alluded to it, that the, the 1984 killings were bad. I mean, let's be clear, a lot of bad things happened there. Uh, The Indian government says maybe 2,000 people died. Other folks say 8,000 people died. But the Sikh separatist movement had actually built bunkers and observation points around the Golden Temple. When the Indian army tried to clean them out, uh, they actually responded by murdering the Indian prime minister, Indira Gandhi. Uh, And it was in that ensuing violence that a lot of folks died. So was the violence bad? Yes. Did the Indian army overreact at some points? Yeah, probably they did. Uh, but to call this genocide utter nonsense.
0: Tom, the point was made yesterday by a caller that uh, when it comes to politicians in this country, particularly politicians with a profile, your your focus should be Canada. Your focus should be the the national interest in this country. What we, what Canada requires, and it shouldn't be another country or bringing conflict from another country here. And it was made. The point was made about about political leaders, but I think it would extend beyond just political leaders. Would you agree with that?
1: Yes. I mean, if you want to come to Canada, my idea is great. Come on in. I mean, that's how my grandparents got here. Uh, they come from a series of mixed backgrounds, and the reason they came to Canada uh, was particularly to get away from the foolishness of the old country. Um, so, what we're seeing, however, and you're correct to point this out, is a number of politicians who are using entryism. In other words, they're joining political parties, not to help that political party, not to help Canada, but to uh, advocate for their political cause overseas. And again, we should note for your viewers that the Khalistani cause in India is dead. It's finished. There's nobody in uh, India advocating seriously for a free Khalistan anymore. The only people around the world who are doing this are in Canada, the United Kingdom, and America. And just by way of notation, as well, the two richest states in all of India are Delhi and uh, the Punjab. Uh, so it's not like the Sikhs are horrendously oppressed or something like that. They actually sit at the top of the economic uh, structure in India.
0: And, and you know again, the, like this is whole
1: issue—sorry, sh- fo- go ahead. No, Mark. I was
0: going to say though, this controversy managed to also overshadow a significant part of Justin Trudeau's trip to India, which never should have taken place. And uh, unfortunately, it turned out to be embarrassing. But uh, Mr. Trudeau and his uh, one of his senior national security advisors, who shall remain nameless to most people, but they know who, we are, who he is, um, suggesting that, uh, um, what was his name, Atwal, help me out,
1: Jasper Atwal? Jasper Atwal. Uh, yeah, yeah they. they Singh Sani was the other guy. Yeah,
0: and he, they said that, uh, that Atwal had been brought into the Trudeau um, uh, entourage as a uh, sort of an underhanded move by. Maybe some Indian um, government organization or spy organization. Anyway, it sounded like 007. And then Jasper Atwal, was it? Last week he said, "No, no, I've been going in and out of India with uh, with visas for quite some time." So this this whole issue climbed on top of Trudeau uh, in, in India, which was his visit was so embarrassing he didn't need any more trouble.
1: Yeah, what's really interesting is they invited Jaspal Atwal, and anybody who did, like, even a Google search on this guy would know he used to belong to a terrorist group, and he was convicted of attempted murder of a cabinet minister, yeah. as well as fraud, as well as trying to beat the head-in of uh, Ushel Joshani. Uh, and then the guy who was at the top of the list of journalists, and the guy's name is literally at the top of the list of journalists for whom PMO asked for visas to go to India it was Manbeat Singh Sani, who is well-known for his role in advocating that the Prime Minister of India is a terrorist, and there's multiple pictures of him floating around the Internet, holding up signs with his family in Toronto saying the Prime Minister of India is a terrorist. Yet these are the folks that were on the inside of the meeting, or meetings, plural, uh, in India. So for the government of Canada, or for Prime Minister Trudeau, or for the PMO to say, A, it's the fault of India, well, that's absolute nonsense. You were the ones that invited him and then to somehow infer that the, they didn't know anything about it just be lies, belief.
0: You know, we spoke with a New Delhi journalist who told us that the Indian government didn't want Justin Trudeau in India. They didn't want him for a week. They knew he wasn't there to really work with India. He was there to to appeal to the uh, to the Indian Indo-Canadian population in, in Canada, trying to score votes. And I said, uh, do you think that Mr. Trudeau's visit created a negative, uh, created more of a negative reality for the Indo-Canadian relationship. And he said, oh, absolutely.
1: Yes, without doubt, uh, overall relationships have been damaged uh, between India and Canada. Partly, it should be noted, by the provincial Ontario legislature actually passed a motion to try and recognize the violence in India as a genocide against Uh, the Sikhs. Uh, And uh, in fairness to the Ontario legislature, two-thirds of the MPPs didn't show up, but nonetheless, the motion passed. Uh, And then the visit by Trudeau, of course, was an utter disaster for any kind of uh, further relations. Um, It was noted ahead of time, of course, and you're correct in pointing it out, that the trip over there had nothing to do with Canada's business. Uh, Out of that entire eight-day trip, at the outset, there was only half a day literally half a day of official business the rest of it was all unofficial it was only once they started getting criticized that they jacked it up and there was a day and a half's worth of official visits so yeah that the the entire trip to india i think damaged canada it damages india to a certain degree albeit less and interesting enough it damages citizens in canada who are from india originally because india now is going to start taking a lot harder look at anybody applying for a visa to visit India, and anybody who's got uh, a radical background or an extremist background, or I think it's going to start having a lot yeah. harder time getting visas back to India.
0: All right, let me so get you to hold. Let me get you to hold, Tom. We'll come back with Tom Cook and Howard. Uh, Justin Trudeau did do something. He uh, gave at least me an idea for a new reality show called Political Dancing.
1: Looking for the truth and not worried about rattling some cages to get at it. This is the Roy Green Show.
0: Follow me on Twitter. That sounds kind of like pushy, doesn't it? Follow me. Follow me on Twitter. Uh, At the Roy Green Show. That's just the term everybody uses. Follow me on Twitter at the Roy Green Show. And emails to Roy at RoyGreenshow.com. Listen back to anything that we air in the podcasts at RoyGreenshow.com. Uh, how am I doing on not talking about Justin Trudeau? Doing pretty good this weekend, huh? Doing really well. Each, uh, Tom Quiggan doesn't know this, but each Sunday when I sign off, Tom, I tell myself, next weekend I'm not going to talk about Trudeau. Uh, and uh, each uh. week he makes it impossible for me not to talk about him. So I'm, I'm trying to stay away from talking about Justin Trudeau a little bit anyway. You'll have to share with us there's a bunch of things that we have to cover in the time we have left. Tell everybody what happened, please. Tell, just remind us what happened when your podcast, The Quiggin Report... Well, anyway, tell the story, please.
1: Okay, well, uh, Roy, listeners, us you know we're starting a new podcast called The At Quiggin Report. It's going to be launched on Patreon on the 27th of March. And we put out a trailer on YouTube, 44 seconds long, to advertise this. Now, much to our surprise, our 44-second trailer got us banned on YouTube and got our associated Gmail account also shut down. And also, Google banned us from using anything. Google Search, Google Maps, Google Drive, everything. Ironically, the stated focus of the Quiggin Report is the views of a government intelligence analyst, that is to say me, my views on free speech in an age of identity politics while looking at issues like intelligence, security, and extremism. So here's kind of the shocking thing, uh, Roy. Even to say the words free speech now and link those to terrorism or national security or intelligence or anything renders you vulnerable uh, to being banned or attacked by large tech companies and the government. And as I mentioned, a warning to your viewers as well, if you put anything on YouTube and they decide to ban you, they will cancel your associated Gmail account if you happen to have one as well, and you'll lose everything. So yeah, here we are talking about free speech in Canada, and I've discovered, much to our surprise, that uh, merely talking about it now is enough to get you banned by the good folks at uh, YouTube and Google.
0: All right, so now we have people saying, who the hell is Tom Quiggin? Uh, most most people who are into the international uh, security and terrorism scene know who you are. But here, let me just read – folks, let me read you a little something about Tom Quiggin. This is from the Mackenzie Institute. Tom Quiggan, MACD, has 30 years of practical experience in security and intelligence matters. He's qualified as a court expert in the reliability of intelligence as evidence and on terrorism, criminal and federal court. His years of practical experience include a variety of intelligence positions for the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, the Canadian Armed Forces, the United Nations Protection Force in Yugoslavia, Citizen and Immigration Canada, War Crimes, the International War Crimes Tribunal for the former Yugoslavia, the Privy Council Office of Canada, and the Bank of Canada. He was also a senior fellow at the Centre of Excellence for National Security, the S. Rajaratnam School of International Studies in Singapore, he was a qualified arms control inspector for the Conventional Forces in Europe, Treaty, and Vienna Document. So that, I don't need to go on any further. Why are, they, why are they banning you?
1: Well, it's difficult to say. I'm not the only one. They hit a whole bunch of people on the same day. Um, but I think what you're seeing is the tech companies, and it, particularly you know Google, Facebook, Twitter, etc., are coming under pressure from Western governments. And these Western governments are ones uh, which are finding it increasingly difficult, I think, to maintain their narratives. In other words, we have folks like uh, Trudeau, who we said we weren't going to mention, but I just did. We have folks like Trudeau, Jean-Claude Juncker, etc., etc., who have a progressive narrative of central control Open borders, unlimited migration, mass welfare, high taxes, etc., etc. And again, we have certain leaders who we won't name uh, who say that we, you know, ISIS fighters returning to Canada yeah, is a yeah. good thing, and you're Islamophobic if you're afraid of
0: them. All right, let me stop. So, I mean, I have to stop you there. We're going to come back with Tom Quiggan and we're going to pick up on that very point because tomorrow, a man we interviewed had an exclusive interview with, who won't talk to me anymore, John Letts, the father of Jack Letts, who many consider to have been a member of ISIS. He says, no, he wasn't. Uh, John Letts is is coming to Canada, and he's looking for his son to be allowed into this country as a dual citizen. So we're going to get at that with Tom Quiggin and play a little bit of my interview with John Letts when we come back. You
1: know, you hit the big leagues when you're a guest on his show. This is The the Roy Green Green Show.
0: At this hour, we'll be talking with uh, Eli Shakia. He's the Director of Expertise and the President of E.E. Chak Consultants. They are experts in concrete bridge safety and construction. And we'll be talking with Eli about the uh, collapse of the bridge in Miami. And it's interesting, isn't it, that they found cracks in this bridge and decided they weren't of any danger. I, I don't know if those cracks... Contributed to the collapse, but we'll talk to uh, to Mr. Shackie about that before the end of the hour. Now back to Tom Quiggin on the Roy Green Show on uh, the Chorus Radio Network, court-certified Canadian expert on terrorism, intelligence work for the RCMP, CAF, UN, the War Crimes Tribunals. I uh, read you the um, I read you the uh, CV. His book is Submission. This is the most recent book, Submission. The danger of political Islam to Canada. So, Tom, as we end, as we break, you talk about Trudeau bringing, allowing ISIS terrorists back into Canada, and I mentioned uh, Jack Letts and his father Tom Letts, uh, John Letts, and said that he wouldn't wasn't communicating with me anymore. Guess what happens during the bottom of the hour break?
1: <laughs> you got a phone call from uh, John. Letts.
0: I got an email, ah. and, a, and a very polite, very. Uh, Oh, very polite, very positive email. Thanked me for the way we treated him on the program, and uh, yeah, he's uh, – and whatever the lawyers tell him to do, I guess. So he will he'll he may be back. So I – it took a while. I mean, I didn't hear from him for a long time, so I just assumed that he'd uh, had fallen out of favor because I, I said the day after I spoke with him, when a listener asked me or a caller asked me, do you think uh, his son had anything to do with ISIS? And I said, my gut tells me yes. And I thought that that maybe it upset Mr. Letts. Anyway, I did hear back from him. Now, on this issue of the ISIS terrorists being allowed back into Canada, at the same time, we have, um, we have translators, interpreters, Afghan interpreters. We'll be talking to two of them in the next hour. One is in Canada. The other one is in Afghanistan. The one in Afghanistan is being hunted by the Taliban. They've been able to get a missive to him that if they catch up with him, they're going to kill him and behead him and kill his family. He because he worked with Canadian troops and and other ISAF troops, and uh, he desperately wants to get into this country. We had the door cracked open a little bit by Jason Kenney for two years, and then they slammed the door shut. And uh, we got all these people, and I'm getting emails from interpreters all over the place, who who are desperately afraid, would love to come to Canada, and I'd say that they've proven their their bona fides about coming here. So, but but instead we have the uh, Think I'll go to Syria and join ISIS types returning.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a problem, Ryan. It's not just a problem in Canada, it's a problem in the United Kingdom, United States as well. Um, that we have interpreters who've worked for us uh, and other folks who work for us as well at the local level who have, like you said, proven their are bona fides, they've helped us, they've done this at great risk to themselves, and now the Canadian government is turning on them and dumping them. The problem with this kind of thing is it also damages future missions. People on the ground aren't going to want to help us if they think we're going to throw them under the bus once we're done with them.
0: You know what, let me just try this. Uh, we don't have time to play the whole segment that I was going to play for you, the, the first part of the interview with John Lutz. But I want to play a little bit of it, so if we can just start it off and have a listen to how that went. Mr. Letts, thank you very much for taking the time.
3: Oh, my pleasure, Roy. Thank you for having me on your program.
0: Is your son a member of ISIS?
3: Absolutely not. Never been. Um, Condemned him all the time. Uh, No, I, I, you know, people can say I'm just a father in denial or I'm naive or anything like that. But no, there's never been any evidence to show that. If there was, I'd love to know it, because if he really was a member of ISIS, I'd be the first to queue up and condemn him. Uh, No. Uh, and, and nothing's been presented to show us to this. He's been um, against it from the beginning. And by the way, he only ended up in Raqqa because he was hurt in in Iraq. He was living actually in Iraq, and his house was bombed, apparently. Now, you know, I, I say, uh, obviously, I'm not there, and, and really, Jack's got to speak for himself, from what we know. He only went to Raqqa towards the end of his trip um, there, or his, uh, when he went there, and to, to be treated in a hospital. It's not that he kind of ended up in the capital of the caliphate because he was part of such a caliphate.
0: Did so, he no, not, I understand, he, I read that he, he wanted to go to the ISIS territory because he was of the view that they had, in fact, created a, a sort of a perfect Muslim state to live in. Do I understand that correctly? Uh,
3: well, I mean, I think, first of all, when he went, um, when he left Oxford, I, I, the caliphate hadn't been even declared. And not many people knew about ISIS. I mean, we were kind of up on physical events, but I didn't really know what ISIS was very much. I I think the concept of a caliphate, um, as much as we might think that's a horrible idea, or many of us do, I mean, I'm not a very religious fellow myself, um, but uh, I think there were a lot of Muslims who thought that perhaps there was some genuinely Islamic state was being created. And according to Jack and many people, I think, who have very strong Islamic views, that if there is, according to the Quran, from what I understand, if there is a genuine Islamic state, um, well, Islamic society, that it's the duty of a, of a Muslim to live in it. Now, Jack has OCD. You've probably read that, too. Very intense child. When he gets into something, he's really into it. And he learned Arabic in six months, and he decided that this I think his Islam had a lot to do with his OCD. I mean, we don't have time to go into that. But, um, I mean, I had, no, we had no, obviously no idea he was going. He just went to learn Arabic in, in Kuwait. Uh, and only later did he phone and said, oh, yes, I, I'm in Syria, but I'm actually going to Iraq. Um, so he went, I think, to explore that idea. I mean, he's 18. He finished high school. He was full of energy he wanted to he said it's a duty of a muslim to help other muslims and given what was going on in syria all the bombing and assad the oppression that was going on he said maybe i can do something and that was his language skills and he could work in a hospital he could work in a school he could do something and you know i would like him to answer this question roy to be quite honest i mean you know we we well, we did what we could to, to help get him out, because mm-hmm. that's really what happened in the last 18 months Or he left Raqqa, but papers don't seem to report. But I'm, it's really great to speak to someone directly like this, because obviously we haven't been able to talk about it to anyone, because of the gagging order that we're under.
0: Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. You sent him money, your son asked for money. and No, it was, we tried to, send well, him. You tried to send him money. Why did the British government take you to court for funding a terrorist operation, is that correct?
3: Uh, uh, yes, that's And we're at the Old Bailey um, in the dock uh, in September. Um, But we're also challenging the whole law in the Supreme Court on April 19th. Uh, Basically, for about, uh, well, for a year, uh, let's say going to in 2015, this has been going on for such a long time. um, He was sending lots of messages to us saying, I've got to get out of here. Please, Mom, please, Dad. You know, they're hunting down my friends because we're all standing against them. I mean, there was resistance
0: activity inside Raqqa against ISIS. And All right, so there's a good part of the uh, first part of the interview with John Letts, the father of Jack Letts, and Jack Letts is imprisoned by the Kurds because he got away. He says from ISIS, he's imprisoned by the Kurds, and he's asked Canada and Canadians. He's a dual citizen, Canadian and British. He's asked uh, Canada to take him in, put him in prison. He said, doesn't matter. Do what you want with me. Just let me get out of here and get to Canada. And that's his plea. And he insists he was never a member of ISIS. His father says, as you heard, that he was in Raqqa for three years. He was in hiding. He tried to get away from ISIS. And uh, the, the interview was an hour, and there's a lot of information on it. It's, it's, uh, it's still on Twitter. I'm going to post it again, the whole thing. But uh, Tom Quiggan, as you listen to John Letts, clearly a father who loves his son, wants his son saved, and wants his son's life saved, uh, but also says if I, if I find out that, that he did what, what he's being accused of having done, then, uh, then I'll call him out on that. So as you listen, you've heard the whole interview, uh, what do you make of it?
1: Um, well, first off, Roy, let me just say I've got, I guess, a fair amount of sympathy for John Letts. His son is in serious trouble. Uh, he's being held captive by some folks who suffered badly under ISIS, and he's afraid for his life, and well, he should be. Having said that, however, a good chunk of what he puts forth in the interview and other press statements is somewhat less credible. In that piece you just uh, you, uh, re rebroadcast there, he said, well, you know, my son wasn't in Isis he was in Iraq when he was hurt and then he went to Isis it's like no no he was in Isis controlled Iraq. He also said he left before the caliphate was declared, which isn't entirely true. He may have left Oxford before the caliphate was declared, but he was in Kuwait and then he went to Isis 3 months after the caliphate had been declared. And that was at the time that ISIS was showing recruiting videos, which showed the mass beheading of soldiers. They were talking about mass rape of women. They showed the decapitation of James Foley. So anybody that went to ISIS at that time knew exactly what was going on in ISIS. It wasn't exactly a secret.
0: He has, really, I'm sorry, go ahead.
1: I was going to say the other really damning piece of uh, evidence against uh, Jack the Sun is that he gave an interview to Channel 4 News in the UK in 2016, two years after he got to ISIS, said he had no regrets about being there, he had no plans to return to the United Kingdom, he said that he wasn't currently fighting for ISIS, which one could strongly suggest means he had been previously fighting for ISIS, and then he went on a bit of a rant and said how he hated his parents because they're non-believers, he hopes that they die in their rage, uh, and that he referred to with the rest of us as basically a bunch of dirty kafirs and non-believers. So this idea that yep. this sort of misguided youth going off to explore a caliphate um, doesn't line up with the actual evidence trail on the other side of okay. the on the other side of the sheet. Uh,
0: Tom, I thank you for joining us today. We'll find out more. Mr. Letts is coming to Canada tomorrow. He'll prevail upon the government to allow Jack Letts into the country. When you think of uh, Bill C-6 and uh, Mr. Trudeau changing the legislation about not being able to strip a convicted dual citizen of his Canadian or her Canadian citizenship, there's really nothing uh, hard and concrete, from what I understand, to keep Jack Letts out of this country. He's a Canadian citizen. He hasn't been convicted of any criminal uh, or terrorist act. Under C-6, it wouldn't matter if he had been or not. He'd still be a Canadian citizen. And so he'd have rights to come here, wouldn't he?
1: Unfortunately, my guess is at the end of the day that he yeah. might very well, very uh, well wind up here. I mean, he's a Canadian legal citizen of convenience. He has no actual yeah, attachment yeah. to Canada, and the UK he's not educated here. But nonetheless, this is where we're at. Yeah,
0: yeah. And the UK doesn't want him. So, thank you, Tom. It's always good speaking with you. Uh, the uh, book is Submission: The Danger of Political Islam to Canada and a Warning to America. We'll talk again soon, Tom. Thanks for the time. Cheers. Thanks, Roy. All the best. When we come back, the collapse of the bridge in Miami and the fact that they saw cracks in that bridge and talked about it, had a meeting about it just hours before the bridge collapsed. Stay with us.